Corinthian church is like a lot of churches today. It had a lot of problems. There was a lot of doubt. There was a murmuring amongst its membership. There was friction. There wasn't always uh, peaceableness. There was not always people getting along together well. Uh, And there was also heresy that had kind of crept into the church from the world. And Paul's going to address these things uh, as he's talking about these gifts that the Lord has given us through his resurrection. And so the title of the message is the resurrection gifts. And uh, specifically, we're going to look at six gifts that we have as believers today and believers have for all time because Jesus is alive. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? There's people in the church, the Christian body, that are saying resurrection didn't really happen. This is happening, and he's addressing this error. He says, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is worthless and in vain, and your faith is empty. These are big, big, heavy things. He says, in that case, if that were the case, if that's true, We're exposed as false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise Christ from the dead if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, your Christian faith, is futile. And you're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, the ones who've died believing in Jesus, our loved ones that have gone on before us, who trusted Jesus as Savior. He said those, if the resurrection isn't good, then they've perished and they're lost. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, or in this life only, if this is it and there's nothing coming, there's no resurrection, there's no hope, there's no eternity, there's no heaven, there's no reward, there's no glorification, if this is it, he says... We as Christians are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first of the great harvest that God is gathering. For since death came through a man named Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through another man named Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die... So also in Christ shall all who believe in him by faith be made alive. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, I pray that every single soul in this place, everybody who's listening, everybody who may ever uh, go to a podcast or, or look online this day forward or years from now, God, that if they hear this message, that they would hear the hope of life that Jesus is alive, that he's seated at your right hand right now because his work on earth was completely finished, that it was validated and proven good, that his work worked, and that we today are ambassadors of Jesus who have hope that we are alive, that even when we die, we will be alive because of Jesus, that the grave can't hold us because it couldn't hold Jesus, that our faith has made us whole, that we are joint heirs with Christ, and we're getting an inheritance of life after, of glory after, of being in your presence, of having a seat at the Lamb's table, Lord, 
that we have all of this because our Savior's alive. And Lord, I know that those are future blessings, and some of us are thinking about what right now is going on in our lives. But because Jesus is alive, I have hope to face tomorrow. I have present hope in this life, God, that no matter what happens to me or how low I get or how many times I get knocked down or how badly I sin or how far I've walked away from you, that you are alive and that you've never moved, that you've never changed, and that you're right here with us still with arms extended like the prodigal's father running to us to embrace us if we'll but come home. I pray this morning, Lord, that the resurrection means something to us. That Jesus being alive encourages our hearts. That we remember that we have victory even though it seems like we have defeat in this life. That this world is dark and evil, but Lord, we have hope. There is light and life in Jesus' name. And God, we are not to be pitied by anyone. We don't need anybody's pity or condolences we don't care that the world may think that we're crazy for following you and believing in you. Lord, today we lift up our hearts in unison and say thank you. And we ask that you'd bless us, Lord, that you'd even bring revival to our hearts and souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I had a hard time sleeping last night, a uh, difficult time going to sleep. Um, right before we went to bed, I don't know if any of you guys watched... Uh, the little show, the docudrama about Morgan Nick, and uh, it's called Still Missing Morgan. And as of last year, last year marked 25 years of Morgan uh, having been kidnapped from the ball field in Alma in 1995, a six-year-old girl. And um, <laughs> our babies fell asleep in our arms on the couch while we were watching that stuff. And, you know, I, I think, oh, Lord, I, I couldn't do anything. I, I couldn't go on if anything happened to one of our babies. And I know Miss Colleen, Morgan's mama, really well. And um, the, the, everybody who was on that show last night, I know uh, Sheriff Ron Brown and uh, Chief Russell, who had just retired. And um, I lived about two blocks away from where uh, Morgan was abducted and kidnapped, and it's literally like a block away from the police station. And, and it weighed heavy on me all night, and I couldn't hardly go to sleep just thinking about, you know, why do tragedies like this happen? Why do things like that that are so difficult happen? And this isn't in my notes, and this isn't any part of it, but I'm revealing my heart to you. Um, there is still hope, okay? And, and that's why the Morgan Nick Foundation continues on, because they believe that possibly somewhere someone might know something, whether that's to find her still alive or whether that's to find it and have some closure in her life, of her life for that entire family. But also they help reach out to missing and exploited children. And the fact that there are missing and kidnapped and stolen and sexually abused and human trafficked children and babies and people in this world is a sure sign that this world is dark and sick and lost and far from Jesus. And yet we are alive and found and bright and shining and supposed to be so glorifying to Jesus. And there is this spiritual war that's happening in this world that's clashing between dark and light. And guys, the dark hates the light, but as long as the light exists, the dark can't overwhelm us. And so I think about this, and, and then I was laying there, and a friend of mine sent me a text message and said, please pray for a friend of ours, a man that I used to work with or work for, and he's 43, 44 years old, 
And um, by all accounts, uh, he's having more bad days than good days because of brain tumor. And uh, we're praying for him. And my friend said in his text message, pray for ultimate healing. And I, I said out loud, I was like, you... I don't know if you want ultimate healing, bro. He didn't know that. I was just sitting there looking at it because ultimate healing happens in heaven. But we want healing for him. And it weighed on me, a man that's just a couple of years older than me that I used to spend seven days out of the week with, even going to church with for years. And the fragility and the frailty and the temporariness of life. And why? Again, somebody middle-aged, a younger man, and a baby, a, a little girl, and why do these dark things happen in this world? And, and yet people in the church even, the Corinthian church, were arguing whether there was a resurrection at all. And guys, I'll tell you this. <laughs> if there wasn't anything to come, we just shut this book up, sell this building, let's all go out fishing. Let's all go out hang out. Let's go Let's go play softball, watch the Masters, do whatever we want to do today because all of this is pointless and futile. But because Jesus Christ is alive today, our hope is so real and should be so contagious that the people who have no hope after this life want what you have so badly that they're begging to hear about it. And they may put up a solid front and a thick wall and say none of that, but we who have life and hope after life should be still saying, even if I have to lob it over the wall, I'm going to give the gospel to you. I'm going to tell you what God has done for me. And I believe that no matter what has happened to Morgan, if she is still alive, or if she is dead, that that little baby is safe in the arms of God. And I believe that any of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that no matter what happens to us, that our next moment of awareness is in the presence of the Almighty God. And that happens because Jesus is alive. Um, you know, if I were to give out relationship advice, which she don't want to take a whole lot from me, uh, somebody said, how'd you get Jennifer? I said, I'm a good praying man. And God answers my prayers. And uh, I'll tell you, you don't look for a spouse... And you don't marry somebody based on their looks or their money, okay? Uh, you shouldn't, anyway. I know some of us have. Uh, the rest of that stuff is a bonus. But you should marry that guy or that girl uh, based on who they are, not what they have, not what they look like. And the mystery is still, why did Jennifer marry me? We don't know that today. Uh, but we walk by faith, right, and not by sight. Um, you know, it's probably because of my great personality and all, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but in all honesty, there's a spiritual truth here that it applies to us with God. We should love God, not necessarily for the things that his hand provides and extends to us, not because of the material blessings, and we're all blessed in this room, you'd have to testify of that, but not just because of what he gives, but because of who he is. And so often the psalmists and those uh, old prophets in the Old Testament would say, I seek the face of God and not just his hand. His hand is extended. His hand uh, provides blessing and every need that we have, but his face. Man, that's just getting there in the presence of God, enjoying him for who he is, being, being near to him, close, intimate relationship. His face, that you can commune with him, that you can fellowship with him, 
that you can cry to him and you can ask of him and you can praise him. And his hand, man, his hand is always good and it's always supplying and providing, but we need to seek his face more often than his hand. And so we should love God for who he is. And you know what about God? And this isn't anything selfish or negative about God when we say this. But God is one who always seeks to glorify himself and his worth. Everything that God does, God will bring himself glory for it. But he also, and I love this, and it's not a conundrum, it's not mixed up, it's not either or. God also loves to meet the desires and longings of your heart. He is so intimately concerned. He knows when a little bird dies. Don't you think he knows about you and your problems and your pain? John Piper, pastor, says, and it's probably his most famous quotation, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And you could spend a whole lot more time than we're going to spend on that statement, just breaking it down and pondering it. But if you look at the idea of it, God receives most glory, most praise. He's most joy-filled, most full when we find our greatest and deepest satisfaction in Him, when our longings are met by Him, when we fall short and we sin and we come to our Abba, our Daddy, our Father, and our God says, I want to meet those needs. I want to heal you and forgive you more than you want to be healed and forgiven. That's a mind-blowing thought. And God isn't just looking at the outward appearance. A lot of us would say, man, I messed up yesterday. I messed up last night. This last week was a bad week. I failed in a lot of ways. And God isn't just looking at those things. He's not looking, certainly, to measure your merit based on your talents or your abilities, your wealth or your beauty, any outward appearance. He's looking at your soul. He's looking at your obedience. He's looking at your love, not only for himself, but how well are you loving others, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ? And he's working to satisfy your soul, but at the same time, to satisfy the glory that his own name deserves. And so, in other words, my greatest joy in this life and the life to come, your greatest joy in the, this life and the life to come, comes from doing what God loves to do best, glorifying himself. You will find more joy, more satisfaction, more peace, more happiness even, which is circumstantial, by glorifying God than you will doing anything else in this life. If it doesn't bring God glory, you're not going to find lasting satisfaction in it. And so, the Resurrection Sunday, by all accounts, has come and gone. Jesus is going to spend these 40 days on earth in his resurrected body. What's he doing? He's preaching, he's teaching, he's fellowshipping with his apostles and disciples and friends. He's preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is just a few weeks away. And in all of this, Paul is telling us through 1 Corinthians 15 that there is good news in the resurrection. That by Jesus being alive, what's happening is he's plugging holes, he's filling gaps, he's finishing us and sanding us and polishing us as treasures and masterpieces and meeting our greatest longings and needs. And this, is, this whole sermon is about why Jesus being alive matters to you. Your risen Savior is at the heart 
of all, at the center of all your deepest heart longings. As you seek God, you seek to glorify Him. He longs for your presence. He longs for you to live there, live in His Word, meditate, walk out of Him, tell people about Him, that He'd shine over you and around you and under you and through you to the world. Not only, not only that, but that you find satisfaction like nothing else, like no one else can be found in Jesus. I love my babies. I love my wife. I love my parents. I love my friends. I love this church. But guys, you can't satisfy my deep heart longings like God can. No one can. And if you're looking for it in the face of a person or in some hobby or recreation or, or thing, it'll never measure up. And so I'd say all of that to say this. As you're glorifying God, as you are going about glorifying God in your life, you are at the same time simultaneously getting the most satisfaction out of life. And when we're not getting satisfaction out of life, we do what the Corinthians do and we start to doubt God's goodness. We start to doubt that there is any hope after this life. We start to doubt that our loved ones are even in heaven at all. And we start to fall away from the Lord. But Paul says that these six things that he's going to say in verses 12 through 20 um, will, would be forever lost. You wouldn't possess them or have them today if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so I want to examine these six things with you guys. And this first part is just a synopsis, okay? Go ahead to the next slide. These are what these verses are saying, what, what the resurrection means. First of all, if he's going to say all these things in a negative sense, and then we're going to flip them on their head and make them positives, Okay. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, what we're doing right now, is in vain and it's worthless. It doesn't matter. These are empty words. Like, like when I start my, my vehicle up on a winter morning and the exhaust shoots out and it just dissipates and disappears so quickly, that would be what this is. Secondly, in verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is empty, it's void, it's null, it's no good. It's worthless. And then in verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, we're exposed, all of us, as false witnesses about God because every one of us have testified about God that he raised Christ. Go ahead and go to the next slide. The fourth is verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, if he's not alive today, your faith is futile. It sounds a lot like the last one, but you are still in your sins. And that's horrible because that's judgment and that's separation. Verse 18, number five. If Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those loved ones of ours, my grandparents, my friends, your loved ones, your children, your, your aunts, your uncles, your parents, grandparents, the ones who've died believing in Christ, they've perished, they're lost. But I love this. I want to finish that sentence. Since Christ has been raised, the dead in Christ have not perished, and they're eternally secure. Number six, verse 19. If Christ has not been raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. And we're not to be pitied. So where the rubber meets the road for us as believers this morning, where we really begin tracking, is when we turn these things, and I want to do this before your eyes and with you, to turn the negative statements into positive statements. And there are six things here we just looked at where the living, resurrected Christ has done for us that we can't miss. In raising Jesus from the dead, God has done these things for you. And so it's like taking the lemons that are dealt us 
and making lemonade out of it, we're going to turn these negative statements into positive ones. We know that the resurrection meets our needs. I hope you know that. I hope that you know that Jesus alive meets your needs, that the promise and hope of life after this one meets your needs. And I want to, with you, reorder these statements to show how satisfied you can be in Christ when you get a hold of the resurrection. Why Jesus is alive, being alive, is as important and as meaningful and as valid as you being alive. Why your life has purpose and meaning. And so we're going to jump right in, reordering these statements. They're not in the verse order that we, we first looked at, but I want to start with probably the foundational thing that the resurrection does. You are forgiven of your sins. This is the greatest longing of your heart and your soul. Because if you're not forgiven, everything else is invalid. Listen to me, guys. If Jesus Christ hasn't forgiven you of your sins, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, you're not his. His promises aren't yours. You can't claim those things. Verse 17, it negatively says, we are not still in our sins. But positively, we can say, because of the resurrection, we are fully forgiven of our sins. And again, this is the most basic need, because without forgiveness, you don't have salvation. Without salvation, you don't have justification, you don't have glorification, you don't have sanctification, you don't have anything else that the Christian life can provide. The foundation a point, the foundational point for every other blessing and spiritual gift is that God does not hold your sins, your transgressions, and your trespasses against you any longer. You're forgiven and free. And the beautiful part of this is that, yes, the death of Jesus will absolutely, and, and what it did on that cross that he hung on, it paid the penalty of sin. But the resurrection here matters immensely. And why does it matter so much? Well, the resurrection validates and secures what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 4.25 puts it this way. Jesus was delivered over to death for our trespasses, the cross. But he was raised to life for our justification. Just as if, you know, we've always used that definition of justification. What does it mean? The big theological word, just as if I had never sinned. Jesus took all your sins, past, present, and future, and he bore them for you, and he's taken them away as far as the east is from the west, and there's no longer the penalty or consequence because he's alive. The foundation for every other blessing and spiritual gift is that God doesn't hold our sins against us. Everything, every blessing, every hope, every promise hinges on the fact that we are forgiven. And the resurrection proves we're forgiven, and it proves that the cross actually worked. Everybody needs forgiveness, not just people in this room. Yes, daily we fall short still as Christians, and we testify to that, we admit that, hopefully we repent of that. But the world needs to know that we don't come in here claiming that we're perfect people with our noses in the air looking down on the rest of them. We're all sinners. What we have done hopefully you have done, is humbly been face-to-face -face with God, been convicted by His Spirit, and fallen down saying, Lord, I am guilty. I do need redemption. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. And where we differ from the lost world 
is that they have never admitted that they are guilty of sin and asked God to help them. And we have. And so, look at, uh, I already said Romans 4.25, but when we think about it, even when we don't think about our sin, I think our souls long for it. We long to be approved. We long to be accepted by God. I hope that you still feel that your heart is still tender enough that you hate the guilt and shame that your sin brings so that it runs you to the cross. The resurrection bears witness that we're forgiven. And we have this first and most basic need met because Jesus is alive. If you've put your faith in him, the cross worked, you're saved, you're forgiven, you belong to him, period. No commas, no semicolons, no hyphens, no nothing after that. You are his and he is yours forever. Number two, our faith is well-founded. That means it's grounded, it's secure. You don't have to worry about if you're saved, if you've been saved. This comes from verse 14. It, it, it negatively states originally, our faith is not in vain. But positively, we can say that our faith is well-founded. Because of Jesus' resurrection, there is someone you can trust absolutely. And I'm going to go back to John Piper. I was looking at notes of Piper's as I was preparing for this and, and looking at a commentary, and I, I came across this statement, and I love it. Piper says, I believe that deep in the heart of every person is a longing for someone that you can count on through thick and thin. Someone who's absolutely trustworthy. Someone who, if you put your faith in him or her, it wouldn't be in vain. That person would not let you down. They'd always be there. And guys, we long for that. We want that because we were made for that. That's how God made us, to be dependent upon him. Adam and Eve were so intimately cared for by God. They were so dependent upon God in the Garden of Eden. They trusted God for every need and everything before the fall. And that need to belong to something bigger, to worship something, to be intimate with something that is there for you, that is trustworthy, is innate in the human nature and spirit that we always want that in spite of sin. But we as believers are no longer in our sins because the resurrection solved that for us. Jesus' death proved his love for us. Jesus' resurrection proved his power over every enemy, whether that's gossip, gluttony, jealousy, hate, envy, murder, strife, whatever your it is, God has overcome it by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so there is someone you can count on. He's alive and he's to be trusted. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and I would say loves me, and gave himself for me. Your Jesus cares so deeply for you. And he's there. He's the rock that doesn't move. Third, this morning, the longing and need that's met by the resurrection. The apostles preach what is true. In other words, there is absolute truth. 
the truth is real. And we find this in verse 15. Instead of negatively saying the apostles are not false witnesses about the work of God, what we can say, that we can claim this promise, is that because of the resurrection, the apostles preach and teach what is true. They're true and faithful witnesses of Christ. There is truth. And one of the greatest heresies our world has come to believe in the past several generations is that there is no absolute truth. This is called moral relativism. And we think, well, if it's relative, it's relative to each one of us as individuals. You may think it's wrong, but it's not wrong for me. You may think it's right, but it's not necessarily right for me. That may be what you call a sin, but that's what I enjoy. And so the world at large has accepted this false teaching that there's no absolute truth. That is, that there is nothing that is true all the time for everybody everywhere. And it's a rare individual in our day and age who will stand up and lovingly say that adultery, that premarital sex, that homosexuality, that racism, that gluttony, that every sin that we could possibly think of is wrong. And it's not just wrong for those who think it's wrong. It's wrong for everybody, everywhere, for all time. And we still need to teach that truth even though it is hated by our culture because darkness hates being told what is right. It hates the exposure to light. But guys, we can't shy away from it and back away from it. If we do, we concede. And we might as well throw these Bibles away because all we need to do from this pulpit anymore is just scratch people's itching ears and pat them on the back. Guys, we're guilty. I'm guilty and you're guilty. And that is so desperately why we need forgiveness. And God is right there mercifully, graciously to say, I love you. I want you, and I want to forgive you. I want you to continue to stand victorious, and even though you've gotten knocked down, I'm going to raise you to life once again, and again, and again, and we're going to keep walking this path that Jesus has trod. What happens when everybody does what is right in their own eyes? Read the book of Judges. But what happens when you do what's right in your eyes, and I do what's right in my eyes, and Brian does what's right in his eyes, and Mike does what's right in his eyes, is that anarchy happens. Hello. United States. If every person does what's right in their own eyes, eventually a house divided cannot and will not stand. And so this need for truth, this is what we're talking about. The resurrection proves that there is truth for you. This need for truth is one of the most basic needs of the human heart. Jesus came into the world in John 14, 6 to say, I am the way, I am the truth. Uh, he could have easily put, I am the absolute truth, but I think the the defined that pretty well. And I am the life. No one at any time, anywhere, comes to the Father except or but through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus has every right, by the way, to tell us what is absolutely true. Because at the resurrection, God proved that Jesus is absolutely true. Number four and five, we will pin these together. The fourth and fifth reasons come from verse 19. They're in the same verse. We, we could say we're not to be pitied, but instead we can positively say that you are to be envied. And Satan hates that, that you belong to him. 
that you have promise and hope and glory and eternity secure. And darkness hates that you have light. Guys, people don't understand that they can have it too. All hate does is pull us all down together. But there is hope and truth. And it's not that we're better than because we have Jesus. We're just more hopeful. We're more secure. We're more glorious than anything else. But they don't have to hate us because of that. They can have it too. And we can all stand level at the foot of the cross. Everybody can have the salvation of Jesus. But also in that verse, it says, Our preaching is in vain. And it's not. It's full. It's meaningful. I believe that our preaching and teaching, if you taught a Sunday school class today, if you teach your children at home, if you do a Bible study, whatever it is that you do, that it is validated, it's valuable, and it's needed, especially in our world today. Listen, I want to say these, this last thing before I get to this last point. If, if Jesus Christ isn't raised and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then living for him is absolutely stupid. And following him and his will, it's a waste of your time. Telling other people about Jesus is the greatest delusion of all. And we would be pitied if that were the case. We would be like raving madmen. We would be like insane people who rant and rave and rage over and ramble on over these hallucinations. And people look at us that way today. But still, we know that we're not to be pitied because we believe in Him and follow Him and sacrifice for Him. Instead, since He has been raised and is alive and He reigns as King forever, every bit of your obedience, everything that you can squeeze out and give Him, all your joy, all your hope, all the sacrifices that you make, all of the, all of the self-denial that you say, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to watch that, I'm not going to listen to that, I'm not going to participate in that, all the worship that you give should be envied by the lost world. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul says, what we're going through now isn't easy, Christian. Golly, man, you could be doing a million other things right now today rather than being in worship. But this light and momentary affliction, if that's what we want to call it, the things that we struggle through, that we make sacrifices for, the difficulties raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, coming to church, studying your Bible, spending time in prayer, lifting others up, interceding for them, being there for others to encourage them, being a shoulder to cry on, bearing burdens, all the things that you do, those light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Keep going. I believe that one of the greatest longings of our human hearts is really that our lives count for something. And that when we reach the end of our lives, that we know that they're well spent. I think you want to look back from the end of your days and really rejoice that you lived a significant life, that you were useful in some way. Maybe you weren't a movie star. Maybe you weren't in the Hall of Fame. Maybe your name isn't written in marble somewhere. Maybe there's not books written about you, but that your life still meant something, that it counted for something, for someone. No one wants to die haunted with the miserable memories of being empty, of having only lived for themselves, of being useless or insignificant. And that's why Paul says this here at the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, there's verse 58. 
And guys, I would, I would encourage you and even beg you, underline verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Highlight it. Put a star or an asterisk beside it. Because you'll need to come back to this verse often. And you want to memorize this verse. And you want to hide it in your heart. It needs to be tattooed there. Because this verse has gotten me through so much in my life as a Christian since I was saved at 14. And it has been with me through the times of ministry, through heartache, through death, through loss, through trial, through discouragement. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brethren, my brothers and sisters, remain, be steadfast, be immovable. Just because you stood and stand in the faith today and, and you're like that tree that's being whipped in the winds, remain. Let your roots stay in place. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Even though the winter comes and your leaves fall off and your buds fall to the ground and you're not very pretty and you're barren, the spring is coming, the resurrection's coming, there's new life, new hope. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing this. That in the Lord your labor, that is anything you do for God and his kingdom, is not, is never in vain. It's never useless. It's never valueless. So guys, this has helped me so much in my Christian life personally, just as a testimony, that when I think, why am I doing this? Why? Why am I praying? Why am I spending time studying the Word? Why am I reading these Christian books? Why am I preaching? Why am I visiting? Why am I helping? Why am I listening? Why am I there? Man, because nothing that we do for the Lord is ever wasted. God is glorified from it. You never know in one of those moments when Jesus says, when I was thirsty, you gave me a cup of water, that you didn't do that in one of those moments. So keep doing it. If you live in light of the resurrection, your days and therefore your life will not be misspent. What you do matters. Eternal glory is tied to this stuff. Finally, number six. I think this is a real promise for a lot of us. I think about uh, Jennifer's daddy. I think about my granddad and my grandma. I think about my aunt, Betty. I think about my friend Craig and, and, and many, many others. I think about... Bob C., I think about so many folks, Shirley Lillard, um, lots and lots amongst us. I think about um, just our loved ones that we miss so badly. You might have a memento or a picture or a memory of them, but you can't go and squeeze them anymore. The resurrection matters because of this one. Those who have died believing in Christ are alive. I think every one of us has this longing that we'll live beyond this life, that there's going to be something greater after this, that there's going to be joy, that there's going to be peace, that there's going to be uh, an Eden that awaits us. And nobody wants to live this full life, this valuable life, something that had a significant impact in life, and they come to some empty ending at the end of it all. And it's just a hole in the ground or an urn where our ashes are kept, and there's nothing more. No, more than that, nobody wants to be damned for all eternity. We want the promises of God to be true. And we can believe that the promises of God are true. So in verse 18, Paul says, Because Christ has raised those who have died in faith, they have not perished. 
They haven't just ceased to be. They've not been annihilated. It's not the end of them. You will see them again. That's God's promise, even though in 1 Thessalonians it says that we will be caught up with the dead in Christ will rise first. And so we who are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the air. We're going to be with our loved ones again in, who have trusted in Jesus in heaven in eternity for all time in the presence of God. They haven't just ceased to be. Instead, they're alive, as alive as Jesus Christ himself is alive. They'll forever live the way Christ himself lives, entering into the presence of their master, being told, well done, my good and faithful servant, granted the blessings as joint heirs of their living Lord and King. This is where we close. The greatest news in all the world is that God the Father raised Jesus Christ the Son from the dead. In doing so, he's appointed you and me who believe in him this glorious eternal life. Not just to come, but this life now. It doesn't have to be miserable and depressing, but it can be better. It can be good, but it'll never be our best life. Our best life comes, but this life can still be worthwhile. In raising Jesus from the dead, summation of all of this, he gave us forgiveness. My goodness, guys. Whatever you did, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, he'll forgive you of it. He gave us himself. You're never alone. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He gave us truth. You can believe that God's word is true, that his promises that he's made are true. He gave us a glorious, fruitful life. I would even say eternal life to that. He gave us everlasting joy, and what's not up there is he gave us the hope of seeing our loved ones again. All of those heart longings are the resurrection gifts. Those are the things that God gives us because Jesus is alive. Jesus is the author of life. He's the victor over death. He's the first fruits of all those who've fallen asleep. Guys, there's a harvest coming. So lift up your heart this morning. I think you could echo with the angelic choirs in heaven who say, Worthy is the lamb who was slain because he didn't stay slain. He's alive. We're alive. Spiritually, we're alive. Physically, we're alive with him. And so, he's alive. He's made you alive. If, and those two little words are the biggest question, if you believe in him. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you don't this morning, would you like to? Because you certainly can. And guys, if you do, and I believe the majority of you here do believe that Jesus is real, start living in light of the resurrection. That your living king, your resurrected king, you see, we sang that song, he didn't just resurrect you. I love that it's present ongoing. He's resurrecting you. Daily when you get knocked down, daily when you're beaten, when you're crushed, when you're perplexed, when you're confused, when you're overwhelmed, he's continuing to lift you back up because of he who lives inside of you, who is alive today. My goodness, the promises, the glory we have in Christ. Let it overcome you with joy today. And if you walked in here depressed, discouraged, and downcast, walk out of here with your head lifted up, thanking God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, Jesus is alive. Not a single one of us has to go to hell. Not a single one of us has to be separated from your presence. Not a single one of us has to walk through this life beaten, overcome, 
dejected. None of us have to live in slavery, in fear. Not a single one of us, God, not one man, not one woman, not one boy, not one girl, are not offered salvation in Jesus' name. And sometimes, Lord, I think that those of us who have had it for a long time, that we're secure in our salvation, that we know, hey, I belong to God. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I think we forget the joys of what it means to live for the one who lives. I think we forget what it means to love like the one who loves. I think we forget what it means to forgive like the one who has forgiven us. To bless like the one who's blessed us. To reach down and help like the one who's reached down and helped us. And Lord, I pray today that as we're alive and as we remain here on this earth, that the living Christ would fill us up and he would pour out of us to touch other people's lives who may not be in the same state. Give us compassionate hearts. Burden us with lost friends and family members. But Lord, help us to just live in the victory of life. To not wish it away. To not hope that the end of this week comes quickly. To not hope that our kids grow up too fast. To not hope that we get to retirement too quickly. But to enjoy the process of living in Christ today and then again tomorrow, and then again the next day. And remember that this life isn't just for us because we weren't just saved to go to heaven. We're saved to lead other people to the same Jesus who wants to give all of this to them as well. And Lord, we ask that you would burden us and bless us at the same time. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus Christ.